If you work in education, um, one thing you learn pretty quickly is that everybody has an opinion on it. Because everyone had an education and they want to tell you what was great or what was terrible about it. Well, it's me up here today. So while I'm sure we've all got lots of different thoughts about grammar schools, SEN provision, university admissions, exclusions and all those other juicy topics, it's going to be my experiences and my opinions that I'm going to share with you. I'll start by outlining a bit of my story, what led me into working in education, and then I'll share some thoughts about our theme, the gospel and education. So I grew up as a daughter of a headteacher who told daily stories of the students and staff who he loved and who he fought for. And he trained me and my brother to think inclusively, often telling us the story of his predecessor, who'd left a sign above the head teacher's office door, reminding all heads that exclusions might not be worth it. The sign read, they shall be replaced. As a teenager, I read this book by Mark Griffiths about children's ministry and was totally taken with his vision for working with disadvantaged children and young people. I remember getting really excited by his challenge that instead of only celebrating testimonies of lives in disaster that had been turned around, um, that through great children's work we could influence a generation who'd go on to tell testimonies of security and knowing God's love and feeling part of a bigger mission to realise God's kingdom. Quite a cheesy title, but it got me when I was a teenager. I was really fortunate to attend an excellent and genuinely comprehensive mixed secondary school. Even as a teenager, I remember thinking how it was amazing to be in a community that drew together such a range of people, in contrast to the way that I noticed adults made friends who were usually pretty similar to themselves. While at school, I became used to being in a community of aspirational children and adults, and it was only after I left that I realised it's not the same everywhere else. I became quite an angry and opinionated teenager. Um, there aren't any real photos of me as a teenager because there was no point for my parents because I refused to smile in any of them. Um, and one of the things I started getting angry about was injustice wherever I saw it. And as I started to flex my injustice battling muscles, unfortunately I began making complaints about what I deemed to be unfair. This included complaints about teachers who I thought treated other students unfairly, and I'm so glad I don't have to teach the teenage me. Later I went off to university and my interest in disadvantage and unfair opportunities for children and young people continued. I got myself involved in setting up a children's club on an outer city estate in Cardiff, completed my placement year for my degree in an alternative provision with children who'd been excluded from school and then later worked for the youth offending team. I was becoming increasingly aware of the vastly different opportunities for children and young people in our country. Although I'd spent some time volunteering in Uganda in really poor communities, I couldn't believe how unfair things seemed in the UK. Sometimes we use this image in school to think about what's happening for some of the young people that we're working with now. So, when I saw some of these statistics when I was coming to my time, at the end of my time at university um, in Cardiff, um, that Teach First had published, I was sold. At the time, the biggest determining factor of how a child would do at school was their socioeconomic status, and I couldn't believe it. And um, despite having previously been undecided about what I should do as a career and what work I wanted to do, I was completely sold on the Teach First vision, so I moved to London to train as a teacher. 
And I'm now a Deputy Principal, as Kate said, at an Oasis Academy. And since starting this role, I'm often asked what I actually do. Do you still teach? Do you just sit in an office, etc.? So, before I get really stuck into some of my thoughts, I thought I'd try and give you a picture of a typical day for me or for others of your teacher friends. The students, the staff, the highs, the lows, the jumble of exciting discoveries alongside frustrations, tellings off, confiscations, and so on. So, here we go. Cup of tea. Meet with principal, meet with leadership team, feedback on a teacher's lesson, hear feedback on my lesson, call children in from the playground, check in with a child I see every day regarding safeguarding concerns, reply to emails, support beginner teacher with tutor time, support lesson transition, tuck shirt in, chewing gum in the bin, good morning, teach African drumming lesson to year seven, break duty, yeah, I had a lovely weekend, thanks. No, I don't watch Love Island. Cup of tea. On call. Pick up two girls who've decided they don't want to be friends anymore and upset about it. Restorative meeting with two friends we're not friends anymore. Both cry, both hug, take both back to class. Find Ashley in the corridor, persuade him to go back to his lesson. Find Jodie crying in the playground and find out why. Take Jodie to Dean of Students, but on the way, find Lucas under a table tennis table and try not to laugh about his clever hiding place as I tell him to go back to his lesson. Pop in to observe a genuinely inspiring maths lesson. Cover English lesson for teacher who's off sick. Learn interesting interpretation of what Lady Macbeth represents from year 10s in the cover lesson. Lunchtime. Shake hands with every student on their way into the lunch hall. Take my lunch to the playground and watch students skipping. Feel emotional that year 9 boys join in skipping games of year 7 girls in this school. Confiscate a phone. Confiscate a pair of earrings. Ask someone to remove nail varnish. End of lunch. Line up whole school. Sit down to plan staff training. Knock at the door. Have you got five minutes? Listen to complain about the last-minute deadline that I set. Apologise for the last-minute deadline that I set. Try to work out a way to help with a short deadline. Reopen the staff training. Continue the planning. Knock on the door. Miss, I need to talk to you. Listen to family worries. Take child back to lesson. Abandon planning staff um, for staff training. Add planning for staff training to to-do list. End of day transition. Take every child's hand on the gate on the way out of school. Meeting with the music department. Order new drum kit. Standardise GCSE music compositions. Finish meeting. Call five parents about behaviour problems that day. Call five more parents about brilliant classwork to balance out the first five. Call yoga teacher to confirm booking for an upcoming enrichment day. Reopen staff training plan. Dot, dot, dot. So, that's a typical day, genuinely a typical day. Um, that's the sort of thing that they scare you with on your interview day, and you think they're just scaring you, and then you realise that that's a real day. So, now to pull back a little bit and have a look at the gospel and education. And as well as working in a secondary school, I love the work I do here in kids' church, and I've also got lots of nieces and nephews, all of whom are homeschooled, and friends who teach in a broad range of schools and academies, and others who've become disillusioned with it all and left education. So I'm more than aware of the limitations of what I'll share today. Um, I'll be talking predominantly about schools and academies, but I know that that's not the whole picture. I love that passage we heard um, from Ephesians. In fact, I think of it as a prayer for me and for the people I work with. For me, this is the gospel in education. God is love, and education can and should represent, tell, and model this. Although we don't say it explicitly, this is what I'm working for, that our children will have roots that grow deep into God's love and result in them growing to become secure and trusting, that they'll experience God's love 
through the way that we interact with them, teach them, and structure our education systems, and that they'll leave our education systems with the fullness of life that comes from knowing and experiencing God's love. Today I'd like to look at three ways in which education teaches, represents, and shares God's love. We're going to look and think about love through the stories that schools can tell children, through love of learning, and through passing exams. Firstly, I suppose the most obvious outworking of the gospel in education is through the story that a school can tell a child about itself. Steve often tells teachers in Oasis Academies that the school he went to didn't tell a great story about its students, expecting them to fail and then seeing them do so. But in contrast, he went to a youth group that did tell him a story about his value, his potential, a community he could belong to. Similarly, schools at their best can tell a story for children about aspiration, becoming a part of education, the solution, and unconditional love, care, and hope for their futures. In one of the schools I've worked in, a high-attaining year seven girl, Amelia, was growing up with a sense that no one liked her, that she let everyone down, and despite being outwardly confident and popular, she had a terrible fear that she'd always be lonely. Without a family member or friend, Amelia felt she could share her feelings with. She channeled her self-hate into nasty online activity, posting photos, videos, making mean and nasty comments about other people in her year group. When the head of year found out about it through numerous upset parents and peers, an investigation into the instigator began. Finally, Amelia came forward and tearfully explained what she'd done, her underlying thoughts and feelings. Encouraged to be honest by that head of year and to face the people she'd hurt openly, she sat beside them and spent a whole day in one-to-one meetings with each of the people she'd posted about online. With each one, she apologised, explained how she was feeling, and cried as she faced the reality of her actions and their consequences. Incredibly, almost all of the children she talked to were moved to compassion and not only listened to her apologies, but were upset on her behalf that she'd been feeling left out. She hadn't ever previously experienced so many offers of friendship as she did on that day. That head of year told that child a story about herself, that even when things go wrong, she's loved. She has the strength to be honest and she can be forgiven. And not only that... But she taught her about love, not just the feeling, but the nuts and bolts of how you deal with the difficult bits and keep on loving through them. Seeing it all unfold, I wondered about how often us adults help each other in the way that the head of year did that day. Outside of formal settings, it's more difficult, but I imagine we could help each other out by reminding each other of the story that we're in and that we can look realistically at our own mistakes, be honest with the people we hurt, and yet know that we're loved in the midst of all of it. Secondly, schools at their best develop a love of learning. In schools, obviously, we prioritise learning academic knowledge and skills, but I'm often inspired by the openness with which children approach all sorts of learning. Learning how to forgive, like Amelia. Learning new social norms. Learning to speak more confidently. Or to give feedback in formal situations. Many children don't have the barriers that we do as adults which make us feel vulnerable or defensive when we're trying something new or we don't know something or we're in a situation where someone tries to teach us something and we don't really like it very much. I love the way that the message translates our reading. It goes like this. And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, 
you'll be able to take in with all followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breadth. Test its length. Plumb the depths. Rise to the heights. To me, it sounds as if a child's exploring somewhere that they've never been before, and they're not scared. They're looking, they're touching, they're discovering it all. They wouldn't learn all that they could of God's love if they weren't bold enough to reach out and touch, interested enough to look around and see, and humble enough to try something new that they might not be able to do straight away. In a previous school, when we used to teach about the orchestra, We'd have to start right from the beginning because most of our students played guitar, drums, singing um, or keyboard and didn't really have much of a clue about orchestral instruments. So whenever we taught that lesson, we'd open up a really old cupboard in the school I was in that was full of orchestral instruments and we'd lay out the guitars, the violins, the flutes, the clarinets, the tubers, the cellos in the classroom. And the lesson would start with just allowing the children to explore the instruments. They'd always get stuck straight in, trying everything out, trying to figure out how the parts of a clarinet fit together, blowing hard to try and get a sound from a trumpet, making horrible noises on a violin. Um, There'd always be someone who'd try and play a cello like a guitar, um, and someone else who'd get really upset and annoyed that they couldn't make a noise on a flute. But they were bold enough to actually reach out and try it. In the best schools where we get a love of learning. The children are strong enough, confident enough, bold enough to reach out and touch, interested enough to look around and see, and humble enough to try out something new that they might not be able to do straight away. At their best schools, places of education, and people working with children foster this boldness to try, interest in the new, and humility that means mistakes are okay. And it's those characteristics that actually enable us to learn. In fact, I think we all need this. How many times do we adults miss out on learning about ourselves or about something new around us because we're fearful or we don't get interested or we think we've already got all the answers? Finally, education, schools and teachers love their students by making sure they pass exams. I often hear people say that they wish schools would focus more on teaching tolerance, well-being or confidence and stop being exam factories. Some schools that have university or academic success named explicitly in their vision statements are criticised for being too narrow. And while I'm sure there's some truth in some of those criticisms, what I notice is that those comments are often made by people who've come from families where academic success or universities are norm. And perhaps those things didn't need to be named explicitly to be a viable reality for them. As a music teacher, obviously I'm a big advocate for a broad and creative curriculum, but I also know that a child's literacy levels on leaving primary school can predict earning potential, chances of being unemployed, and life expectancy. A primary teacher friend of mine, um, who couldn't be here today, but I was talking to her yesterday, and we talk often, teachers, I don't know if you've got any teacher friends, but we like to huddle around and talk teacher geek, and we often talk together. She talks passionately about teaching literacy and numeracy as a matter of life and death. And in fact, she was messaging me yesterday, again, reams and reams of messages saying, I'm always shocked when I see those statistics. She explained to me, and it was a shock to me when I heard it, when I was saying you should be doing more music in your primary school, 
If a child leaves her primary school below the expected reading standard, engaging in secondary school, reading PowerPoints, keeping up with lessons, feeling confident and actually enjoying education is incredibly difficult. In fact, if we want to model God's love and education, then we've got to make sure that everyone learns to read. And similarly, love in secondary education ensures that students actually achieve their GCSEs. For me, one of the most exciting things about these fantastic results that Southbank have just achieved is that those students now have choices. Whether we agree with the system or not, the reality is that those students who've passed their GCSEs now have choices in their life that those who didn't, don't. And if we don't do everything to ensure our teaching's brilliant and our children achieve their very best, then we don't get to model God's love to them because those statistics that Teach First used to inspire me to get into teaching end up becoming a reality. Having said all that, I'm aware that most of us don't work directly in education. But all of us have children or nieces and nephews or friends or children in our community here in this church. And I think we're all educators, whether we mean to be or not. Our children automatically look up to us and learn from us. And we educate them in the very way that we are around them. So... I hope today that you think carefully about the stories you tell the children about themselves. The story that that head of year told Amelia. I wonder whether you're open to learning. Whether you'd be a child in that classroom that would actually get stuck in and try out all those different instruments even though you didn't actually have a clue how to play any of them. And... A plea, really. When you see schools focusing on exams, please don't be too quick to criticise. While your child or your niece or your nephew or friends may be able to sail through those exams easily, there might be a lot of other students there who, for whom it really needs to be the focus. Of course, that's not the only thing that schools should be about. But it's sometimes difficult for us when we're getting criticised for trying to make something really important really important. I'd like to pray for us as we finish. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvellous love. And may you be able to feel and understand, as all God's children should, how wide, how long, how high and how deep his love really is. May you experience the love of Christ though it's so great you'll never fully understand it. Reach out and experience the breadth. Test its length. Plumb the depths. Rise to the heights. Then you will be filled with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Amen.